So, okay, here goes. Now in partnership with the new Westport Library and the Quick Center for the Arts and iTunes, it's Oh Brother, Not Another Podcast with me, Trace Burroughs. And me, Migs Burroughs. And this is just a phenomenal opportunity and, and great privilege to be able to talk to Harvey Brooks and Bonnie Brooks, who I have to, depending on how you look at it, either thank or blame for this mm-hmm. podcast because you got me involved in um, Cablevision and the Westport Library had heard about uh, that I had done a show on Cablevision for 20 years and they said, would you be interested in doing a podcast for us because we know you like talking to people or you, you talk to people and Great. so it's an extension of that, that we got this podcast uh, going and now it's on iTunes and everywhere. You know, the thing that's interesting, Migs, um, I remember when you and I, I mean, look, I knew your mother, I knew your father, and I certainly knew both you and Tracy. But when Cablevision started and I started working with um, Bill Seiden. Well, yeah, Bill <laughs> Seiden, yeah, wow. Yeah, and started getting involved in Cablevision, uh, you and I really started to become acquainted. And... It's a friendship that goes back well, just seems like forever. Well, not only that, I was there when you connected with Harvey because I did the logo and the poster for the Rock and Roll Art and Artifacts exhibit, if you remember. I did that logo. There's a, there's a picture of Harvey in the book wearing the T-shirt that I designed. So that's cool. And so I was there. I know you knew Harvey from high school, uh, but but basically I was there at that exhibit when you guys sort of reconnected. And the yeah. connection is interesting because earlier you brought up Bob Ellis. Mm. Uh, what had happened was my kind of strange concept at the Discovery Museum, then the Museum of Art, Science, and Industry, was to do a show that would bring... Uh, people, young people into a museum that wouldn't normally go. And I don't know if you know, but I absolutely knew nothing about rock and roll. But I had seen- I can attest to that. The Sotheby's exhibit uh, with Elton John, the, the auction. And I thought, wow, this is really selling. Why don't we do something like that at the museum? because it's an art, science, and an industry, and that should get young people in, and it's interactive. Uh, And they went with it, and I knew nothing about it. Uh, But it was a good idea. So I went to Gail Cohen and Terry, and I said, look, you know, I'm doing this thing, and uh, could you recommend somebody who could guest curate this rock and roll art and artifact exhibit at the museum? And they were friends with Bob Ellis. Oh, okay. So that is how uh, Bob became involved with me at the, uh, I don't know if they say Discovery Museum today. Now it's the Discovery Museum, yeah. Okay, the Discovery Museum. Um, And uh, the friendship and putting together with Peter Max and getting everything for that exhibit was great with him. But Bob didn't know very much about anything that went back to the 50s or 60s. (laughs) So I put an ad in the paper saying, looking for rock and roll musicians that would be willing to share their memorabilia at the uh, Discovery Museum. She was looking for artifacts. 
And, and, back. and she found one in, in you, right? Somebody, <laughs> somebody called and said, gave me a list of names. It was Rich, it, on that list was Richie Havens, um, the average white band, and, and several other with phone numbers. And Harvey's number was on there. And I, in the back of my mind, remembered my brothers telling me that Harvey had become a musician and that he had done... Um, Seals and Croft, uh, I'm a breeze. Yeah. my favorite tune. So when I called and left a message on his machine, I said, could you be the same Harvey Brooks that I knew through my brothers at high school? And, you know, and I have to sidebar this by saying another drugged out musician. But, uh, <laughs> Those were not And the then you have to get it you know, because it comes back to haunt you. And sure enough, about two weeks later, Harvey called and said he'd be doing a, a session in Manhattan at Sony. And I was working on a job uh, in film uh, downtown, and we met for lunch. I thought, like, um, when Harvey said he'd be carrying a bass at Sony, I expected to see somebody with an upright bass. Oh. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it was Harvey. And that was the beginning. You know, I didn't yeah. connect. There was anything happening other than the Discovery Museum, but Harvey can pick it up from there. Yeah, though that, yeah. Well, we're out of time. Thank you very much. <laughs> I am, in fact, going to say sit quietly because it really is Harvey's thing, and he yeah. put this together a long time ago. Bye. Oh. That's so sweet. Yeah, no, I just feel privileged to have been there when you guys sort of connected at that exhibit. And um, we met then. And um, well, anyway, I read the book, View from the Bottom, 50 Years of Bass Playing with Bob Dylan, The Doors, Miles Davis, and everybody else. Every page in this book could be a podcast by itself. It is so dense, I mean, compacted with information, details. I guess my first question is, you know, there's that saying, if you remember the 60s, you weren't there. So how did you, re how did you recall or did you keep a journal? How did you, the details are so wonderful in my, you know, the minutia of it. Yeah. Well, I have to say, uh, Bonnie's really responsible for that because everything, we, we talked, you know, and uh, anything that I went across, you know, she would come back at me you know, and she wouldn't accept vague, you know, and mm. I was pulling things out that I, you know, <laughs> every one of these things basically is a topic, you know, this happened. And along mm. with that was lots of extraneous other stuff. So it's really how it worked between that and Frank uh, Beecham doing interviews and, and he would call us from uh, uh, Manhattan and we'd have the conversation and um, you know it was it was amazing, but it was like with three years. I mean, and I've been actually working on it for thirty something years. Yeah. But until you know, Bonnie grabbed my brain, and, and we hooked up with Frank, who was like an organizer. Mm -hmm. So we could throw stuff at him, and then he would like help organize it. What, what I'm want to ask you before it gets too late is. Your, how you met Jimi Hendrix and 
and like you know i know you jammed with him was it an official band or it was just like a jam because i know it's like shrine auditorium and, and yeah, in Manhattan. He, um was what was that all about it was a historic jam you know it, it happened when uh, i was in uh i think i was playing at the um uh, bitter end with the electric flag and uh jimmy um was it was this was uh, uh few months after Monterey. And so like Jimmy was now like God, you know, he had really cracked uh, America. Um, but we were back at the Cafe of Gogo yeah. in, in mm -hmm. Greenwich Village and uh, where I had first met Jimmy. I was playing with uh, just a lot of people there, R Richie Havens. I was kind of like the house bass player. And um, Jimmy was playing with, uh, Jimmy James and uh, it was Jimmy James and the Flames and some other guys, but we were just all hustling gigs, you know, and uh, that was basically our our relationship. And then uh, we had this jam session that uh, somebody taped. I think it's all over the world. We did mm -hmm. a few of them. They weren't incredible, but um, you know that was my initial playing with, with Jimmy was a lot of it in the village. And we jammed at gigs, uh, would be uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix and on the same bill, the Electric Flag. Right. And, and we, we did one of those at Fillmore East, where, where I where, got up. Where, go ahead, yeah. where was Mitch Mitchell and um, Noel Redding while you were doing all this? Is it before them? No, no, that's, they were around, but they weren't there. Oh. I mean, on, on the things like uh, in, in LA, we, we jammed at, uh, I think, uh, Forum or something like that, and um, it was part of the sound check of the Electric Flag. Jimmy came up, plugged in, and uh, Buddy Miles, myself, and Jimmy, uh, we jammed for about an hour. We, uh, and that happened a lot in Mill Valley. Mm. Uh, whenever Jimmy came to San Francisco, Migs, we must have seen Migs and I and a friend. We went to the Cafe Wa, Cafe Gogo. We saw Hendrix and. I think the electric flag was the, you know, backup yeah. band before Hendrix came on one of those gigs. Maybe it was the cream next door at Cafe Gogo. I don't know, but I know that you guys, the electric flag was playing. Richie Havens also was part of the, the bill, you know, with Hendrix as the final act. Yeah, I, I love it. The, the detail, what, this is minutia, but it's, you know, like how the electric flag got its name, which had to do with a B3 organ, right? I mean, right. Yeah. Well, the the story of that was we we were playing a gig uh in Roxburgh i think in northern uh uh san francisco and you know we we set up and somebody in the road crew and i think it might have been a guy named chris mcdougall um found an electric flag by definition a base with a motor in it a pipe with holes in it and a flag on top and the air being pushed oh. up and it waved and he went, whoa, look at this. <laughs> hey, okay. So we stuck it on the organ and then we still didn't have a name for the band. So uh, we had a band meeting uh, after the gig and uh, well, what's the name of the band? It was gonna be Michael Bloomfield Band and it was gonna be uh, an American music band. Um, <laughs> and then uh, it kept going round and round, and and somehow, hey, remember the flag, the, uh, the electric flag? 
the electric flag. That was it. It's amazing. I love that because you know it just it just I mean it, it's so vivid and 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 it's so honest. I mean, there's so much honesty about the 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 challenges of of being a musician and and the and the tragedies. I mean, you know, I mean, we don't go into details, but you know, even Paul Butterfield, Mama Cass, Jim Morrison, Al Cooper, uh, Jacko uh, Pistorius. I mean, these talented people that and I guess one question would be how did you avoid that going over the cliff like those guys well, uh, I, I do I do believe I mentioned it but the main thing was when it came to sticking the needle in my arm hmm. wouldn't go there wouldn't go there yeah you know, wouldn't go there. I was at the edge of the cliff but yeah. I was not going over because did you I saw, I saw it too much around me oh my god did you trip? Did you take acid back then? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I I took my first acid unknowingly. Oh, oh, not good. <laughs> then at the carousel, boring. Um, those things would happen, but you know. Um, Was it a good trip? <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I I don't know if I told this one. Uh, Coming back from San Francisco one after a gig one night, the whole band was whacked. And, you know, and whoever was driving, I mean, the bridge was moving. I mean, <laughs> the fact that I survived, mm. you know, and uh, I, I was still alive to meet Bonnie, thank God. Um, well, that was one of the poignant, I mean, it's a very personal book, too. That's what I like. It's not just, you know, I'm on the road, and then I did this, and then I did her, and then she did me, and then I did that. But the poignant thing was where there's the part in the book, you've met Bonnie, you're in love. The daughters are kind of standoffish. They're not so sure they want to accept you as part of the family because there's this whole girl thing going on, you know, mom and the daughters. And and she sort of said, you know, you got to clean up because we can't have this in our life, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, Bonnie's, uh, you know, her, her values are A1, you know, they, mm. you know they're consistent, and um, she wasn't going to take any shit from me, you know, uh, no excuses. You know? Of, all, of all those people you played with in the, in the 60s, in that time period, you know, great renaissance for music, who, who, do, who did you enjoy playing with the most out of all those you know, people, Dylan, Doors, Hendrix, all that stuff. Uh, well, you know, it's uh, you, you heard the story about apples and oranges. <laughs> They're all such strong individuals, so each one, you know, is a different variety. And, 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 and I played different roles. You know, I, part of what I do that works for people is that, you know, I come in there and I become what works best in that situation. What person did you least enjoy working with? Uh, Al Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> did Migs tell you uh, he saw Al Cooper I, lying I, in the gutter? Yeah, I saw Al Cooper. <laughs> I, was, I was on the way to the Cafe of Go-Go, and I think maybe it was with Trace and his friends, because I could drive and they were too young. And I don't know, we're, we were there to see The Cream. I actually posted a video on YouTube of, of The Cream that, that I, when we saw him there. But on the way there, I'm down the, walking down the street, there's this guy laying in the gutter face up and i'm thinking oh you know this is new york bums i look because i knew al cooper from blood sweat and tears or whatever he was doing then it was al cooper laying in the street face up in the gutter uh yeah 
Well, that's not, you know, Al usually had better control in that. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to think. No, you know, Al and I had to have, a, have and had an ongoing on and off relationship. Mm. But I respect his genius. Uh, mm. You know, I mean, he can be a big asshole a lot, you know, but I do respect his genius. Um, but one of my favorite projects was his uh, Soul of a Man um, album that he did. And there's a few things. But one of my favorite, my actual favorite is uh, Summer Breeze. Summer Breeze, yeah. Joseph yeah. Cross playing with them. They were just wonderful. Um, you know, Jimmy was great to play with. Uh, Bloomfield was great to play with. I played with a lot. And they were all different, you know. And... Um, that's right. You had to be. You had to adapt. You had to. I mean, not conform because you didn't conform. But you. You had to adapt to these styles, and and you seem to be the stabilizing force. All these dynamic, weird personalities, but they seem to draw on you for stability, right? I mean, it was almost like they built it around your stable baseline. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, I'd like to think that. You know, and. Um, the thing I, you know, the thing I always had to do on, on all of these, I mean, a lot of it's spontaneous. Mm. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's the pre-production part of making the record. And then there's the spontaneousness of taking what you've learned and play and playing it. Um, it's, it's sort of like whenever you know anything comfortably, you can talk about it and make sense. If you're not sure, there's a lot of gaps. Um, but that was kind of, uh, you know, my role just in general. You know, it's funny because, you know, people say, well, what's Harvey Brooks' sound? Well, my sound is that. My sound is what, whatever makes it work. And so hmm. uh, that's kind of it. Yeah, but, you know, you're in demand. You get these phone calls in the middle of the night. Harvey, can you do this? Come to the studio. Can you be in a session? Can you jam? Can you hang out? The band comes to your apartment to just hang out. I mean, it's just amazing. It's just such a who's who. And, and it's just, but it's, it's written in a way that it's not, you know, guess who I know or name dropping. It's like, this is, this is the way, this was the way the music community was then, right? Yeah. And, and also, you know, I cross styles, hmm. you know, I mean, I was playing folk music. I was playing folk rock. I was playing pop. Miles Davis. Yeah. Jazz. I mean, and I'm crossing all these different things and I'm getting, you know, like I'm kind of like now, uh, I have the most musicality I think I've ever had because like all these things are like saturated, you know, and I'm doing a project now here. And, um, well, you know, what's coming out is jazz stuff and blues stuff and pop stuff. And, you know, and so uh, it's, it's my most musical time. It's a smudge the cat. Oh. Is, that, is that your drummer? No. <laughs> <laughs> I dig that cat. Yeah, mm. sure okay. yeah that's, that's, like, that's, that's a cool cat. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what, what is the music scene in Jerusalem? I mean, is there, I mean, you, you play out in, I mean, now with the COVID, it must be different, but. Uh, yeah, I've done a few things with uh, uh, Danny Sanderson. He's, he's a, a great uh, Israeli musician. Uh, Ehud Benai, uh, who are like major uh, players. I haven't played that much uh, w with this new project. And if 
gigs become real, you know, um, maybe we'll do some more of that. But mostly I'm teaching, writing, and uh, doing a lot of uh, people send me a track and I put a baseline on it. Well, oh, speaking so. of teaching, I just want to ask my son for a, a short little quote so because he took lessons from you and he was, he was astonished when he realized later, you know, how, you know, what your history was. But anyway, he said, what about, tell me something, tell me a sentence about Harvey. He said, nice, soft-spoken, very supportive of my idiosyncratic playing. Uh, jamming with him was the highlight of it all. Yeah, he was very idiosyncratic. <laughs> <laughs> That's a polite word for it. He didn't notice that. That's a polite Brady. word. Well done. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Um, oh, so anyway, there was one thing we wanted to ask, because you meant there's two Westporters mentioned in the book, and there's stories that go along. One is Barry Tashin. Right. I never heard the story that you had recruited him to be in a band, and somebody's girlfriend, Ixnay on Tashin, right? Right. Well, it was his wife. It was John and John Hall. Oh, okay. From John. Orleans, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I had signed him to Columbia Records. I was a staff producer there. And um, oh, we had this great band with Barry Tashin. He and John, he would have been John's second voice, which, you know, all, all most good artists, you know, have a second voice. Um, but, you know, she, uh, you know, she wanted it to stay a certain way. And, mm. and well, I understand that now, you know, but, you know, at, at that time I was extremely irritating because we had this phenomenal, mm. funky, seriously good band. What do you mean by second voice? What's, what does that mean? He would sing harmony. Oh, sing. The real voice, I thought you were using that as a sort of a, yeah, yeah, rhetorically. Yeah. And the other, the other one, of course, is Charlie Carp. Now, you were, was Charlie Carp was in Slow Leak for a while. I think I saw you guys play at Bottom Line. Did Slow Leak play at Bottom Line? Do you remember? Uh, I, no, Slowly played at, it wasn't the bottom line. I can't remember what it was. Well, I saw you. I definitely came into New York on Bonnie's, you know, yeah, advice or whatever. I can't yeah. remember which one it was. But Charlie, okay. yeah. So we also played in Westport at the... Uh, oh, that's right. At the outside. Uh, was yeah, Slowly Charlie's band or was that someone else, your band or someone else's band? That, that, that was a band with Danny Korchmar and Charlie. And... Uh, who put it together? Did you put it together? No, no, Danny. I think Danny and Charlie oh. put it together. And then I I came in and then I, I kind of like filled it out with a, a sax player and a Rob Paparazzi playing harp. Um, we had a great band. Um, but wasn't there a case of somebody saying we don't want Charlie anymore? Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's in there. You got to read that in the book. Yeah, okay. Now here's another, I did a logo, I did another logo for you. I don't know if this ever came to fruition, but did, what about this band? Ah, the little big band. Well, if that band would have stayed together, yeah. we would have used that logo, I can tell you now. Uh, who was in that? Who, the checks in the mail. Um, <laughs> who was in that band? That band was Jimmy Vivino. Oh, right. Uh, from the Conan show and he plays, yeah, yeah. Fab Four, yeah. Fab Four. Um, yeah. Jimmy, uh, uh, at, at different times, a uh, uh, big horn section, his brother was uh, playing horn uh, on saxophone. Uh, Gary Gold on drums. Um, 
I forget the guys in the horn offhand in the section. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, Jeff Young was a keyboard player and Kevin Bentz, we had two keyboard players. And a lot of times uh, Donald Fagan would come down um, and play in the little big band. It was a great band. Um, Catherine Russell uh, was one of the singers and, and she's out now working. How long did that band last? What, what did it? I think it lasted maybe a year, maybe a year and a half. Um, my sense of time is for Schimmel. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, I mean, there's so many iconic bands. I mean, the Fabulous Rhinestones, uh, was, which you sort of admitted you didn't know enough about the music business to, to I don't know, exploit, sounds like a rude word, but, you know, to, to take, to, to push it where it needed to go or something. It just... Well, um, well for, for the Rhinestones, we had a lot of opportunities. But one of, uh, one of the main things that uh, you know, it was a classic problem we we did a big tour when we released our first uh, album and um, there was a song on it called what a wonderful thing we have and it got a lot of airplay and we're in LA song is doing great in LA and you can't buy it wow. not in the store. so you know it's a classic uh, story but that is one of them um, but the Rhinestones was a good band, but you know, that just didn't have the thing that, that people uh, really got behind. Mm -hmm. So it was a great band. Stick it on the wall. Yeah, there's, some, there's so many, I mean, with all your successes, there's these near misses, like, weren't you, you recruited to be in Crosby, Stills and Nash? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were in the uh, initial origin meeting, the origin story of that, right? Well, you know, for me, the origin meeting was in Cass Elliott's pool. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was a director and they were coming over, they were oh. hanging out. And they were talking about starting this band and they wanted me to play bass. And we were just floating around uh, in the pool, smoking a joint, whatever. And, and, uh, you know, had this conversation, you know, and I was under the impression I was a band member. Uh, but, you know, the overall thing was, uh, I was actually supposed to be just a guy who played what they told me to do. Right. Well, it wasn't me. And so uh, it didn't work out. Uh, obviously a great band. Kudos to them. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, uh, out of that, John Sebastian was, was there as well, I think, uh, and mm -hmm. I tell this story also, but John, he was doing an album called uh, John B. Sebastian. So Paul Harris and myself and Dallas Taylor, who was a drummer in the Crosby, Stills and Ashraf thing, uh, we went uh, with John and recorded down at the Hit Factory in uh, Manhattan and uh, rehearsed at John's house at Sag Harbor where the Crosby, Stills and Nash band was stationed and onward, you know, and then through that I hooked up into, uh, uh, I stayed up with my friend Paul Harris, keyboard player, arranger, who had a loft and then I bought a loft in the same building. And, uh, you know, I'm lying in the loft on the floor with a bed and I'm going, well, here I am, what now? <laughs> uh, phone rang and it was Jack Gold at Columbia offering me a uh, producer gig at Columbia Records. 
I have to ask about your loft. This is just a silly side story, but you had a toilet with no walls. There's a, there's a reference to some, having a group thing and somebody says, can I use the bathroom? And you point to a toilet up by itself, sitting on a platform or something? Yeah, that was in the early <laughs> stages, and, and stages, and that was, um, uh, uh, Clapton was in the band. Uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the band now. Um, 10-piece band, Carl Rado was the bass player, oh. Delaney and Bonnie. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. You're familiar with them. Sure. And Bonnie, you know, we're all sitting around, and I have a, just a, a record player. <laughs> I have a tape player and nothing else and a couch. And we're sitting around, and she goes, where's the loo? Mm -hmm. It's back there. And <laughs> nobody look, you know. That was, <laughs> and but, you know, she was funky, so she could deal with it, you know. She was a, she's a great, amazing singer. There's I a, did. Yeah. I did learn how to make circular plywood. Yeah, on. that's that's interesting. Curved plywood. Yeah. Yeah. You had a. Does that feel? Have you ever revisited? Well, you're in Jerusalem now, but I mean, do those apartments still exist? I mean, they must, or they've been. Uh, well, I would imagine you know at one twelve Green Street where I was at, um, where the Ragman used to be is now a studio if it's still there. Mm. Um, uh, Jeffrey Liu was an artist who had the building, and I don't know what the deal is. But mm -hmm. he, uh, he he used to do these uh, uh, giant concrete models in, in his loft, you know, that you thought would weigh like, you know, 10 tons, but they were like fiberglass. Mm. But they, you know, and they gigantic edifices. That's what he did. Yeah, it was a creative community actually our parents our father lived in greenwich village of course we're talking 19 i don't know in the 30s or something right i mean yeah. and his neighbor was franz klein you know the famous abstract expressionist who was a struggling artist at the time i mean it was such a vibrant it always has been we had rauschenberg yeah and uh i mean there were a lot of those parties there you know you could go to and and there was the musicians there was the artists it was uh quite a time you know, I would imagine, although I don't know, people sit at cafes and have coffee, you know, and, and it, it's, it's the basic uh, stimulus for uh, uh, conversation, but, you know, uh, it's always a pleasure to have those kind of conversations as opposed to political, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's difficult. Um, there's a quote in your book. It's not from you, but I mean, you quote somebody, uh, James Grissom. I don't, I'm not sure who that is. You, uh, but it says, the first part of it is, it's not enough to be angry, but I believe that all art arises from a foundation of rage and regret. <laughs> what, why did that resonate with you? What is that? Well, I, I have to say that um, Bonnie showed me that. She discovered that one. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, I, I relate to the rage and regret because it makes you feel. Mm. You know, artists aren't moved generally unless they really feel something. You know, there's, you know, there's the token part where you just might throw something or just noodle on a thing, you know, but when there's something that's, whether it's wonderful, beautiful, or horrible, and, and, and whatever it is, 
that's what makes you tick. Hmm. And I think I, I kind of related to it that way. And he said it very eloquently. It, yeah. You, were you formally trained, like back going way back? When did you start playing bass, like in bands? When did that start? And were you formally trained or self-taught? Or? No, no, no. I, I took guitar lessons. Uh, and uh, I joined a band and, and I learned the guitar very quickly. I learned two chords and that a friend of mine showed me. It's another story in the book. Uh, but I started playing guitar, I got in a band and we had two guitars, bass and drums. And then we got a manager who used us to play political events, which I, I had no idea. We just went, we, didn't, we knew nothing, we were kids. Yeah. And um, then he said one day, you know, they have a thing called bass now. You know, two guitars, <laughs> you know, they have an, an electric bass, you know, because I know you can't move, take one of those big basses around. So he said, here, kid, you know, you play this bass now, because he's a better guitar player. He was my teacher. So, yeah, I, you know, I wasn't insulted. It was, yeah. And then I got the bass, and then I started. And then I was playing six nights a week, you know, at the end of high school. Uh, that last year, uh, after high school, my first year out of high school, I was playing in the village six nights a week. Mm. And I started playing, and, and I just, by playing, and usually playing with people that were better musicians than I, it forced me to accommodate and, and move up to that level. And, um, you know, throughout my lifetime, I've been a student. I've never had any formal training. I buy books, you know, I, I practice, I, I try to become, get to the things that I have trouble with, you know, and there's always something that's more than I can handle, and I work on that, and I still do that, you know, and that's kind of my thing with my students. I, I, I mainly work with them to, to play and free themselves up to go for it and play and, and try and stay ahead. Uh, stay in front of yourself always try and lift it up mm -hmm. to, that, to the next place well we should we're getting towards the end where where can people get this amazing book i mean it's really more than just you know a memoir like you know again on the road or something you know view from the bottom where, where can people uh where is there a website the book website the tangible that'd be tangible oh, tanglepress.net oh yeah there it is tangible. Yeah, get it there uh, you can get it at Barnes and Noble. Uh, pretty much any online uh, facility would do, and it's a, a hard cover, a soft cover, yeah, and the uh, Kindle. And oh. we had a ball. You know, it was great seeing it. You know, and 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 writing a book is quite a thing. You go through your life, and you say, "Oh boy, if I'd have done this, or if I hadn't <laughs> done that." Yeah. You know, uh, so, uh, well, a, this is great. You know, this is fun to do uh, and to have something to talk about. Uh, yeah, it's, it's great to hear the stories. Um, it's an amazing. Well, the book's an amazing accomplishment and it's great having a little bit of, you know, you having, you lived in Westport and we, there's a little crossover and mutual friends or acquaintances. And, and again, just having been there, you know, at that art and artifacts uh, exhibit <laughs> and knowing that that's where it all started, essentially, you know. Yeah, yeah that um, is where it started. Yeah. Oh, my God. And um, so uh, 
Well, thanks so Good much. Good to see you and talk to you, Migs. It's it's really nice. Yeah. Well, thanks, thanks, Bonnie, again for all her encouragement and uh, thank you. Wouldn't be here without her. Oh yeah. Okay. Let's take care, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.